Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Stay Strong in America podcast. I am your host, Tyron Brown, here for another episode of our Wall Street Wednesdays. And ladies and gentlemen, as I said in the past before, you want to pay attention to this episode because there's a lot of information that will be coming your way. So if you happen to be in a stationary place like your home, a coffee shop or a friend's house, feel free to take out a notepad and jot down some notes. And if you're driving, please keep your eyes on the road, but also your ears wide open. All right. Because this episode is definitely one for the books. So stay tuned. Okay, so let's cut to the chase. Our episode today for our Wall Street Wednesdays is called, Which Quadrant Are You In? So I know many of you have heard of the four quadrants associated with Robert Kiyosaki's well-renowned and reference book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But just in case you are not familiar with the quadrant framework, here's a brief overview. There are four quadrants and they have a particular order which is based on a spectrum of advantages with the first quadrant being the least advantageous and the fourth quadrant being the most advantageous. These quadrants are segmented based on the way in which the individual legally earns money, which includes being an employee or being self-employed or as a business owner or as an investor, as well as a mixture of several of these quadrant options. However, just like most choices in life, each of these quadrants are not flaw proof and come with some disadvantages, especially at certain stages. Therefore, in the information and social media age that feeds us so many options, suggestions, and advice on how we should choose to spend our time making ends meet, I felt it would be helpful to address each of these quadrants so you can make a well-informed decision without too much ideation or hesitation. Today, you will learn that the decision to belong to a particular quadrant as opposed to another may may work for you and may not work for others or vice versa because as you will learn today, Just about every one of these concepts is circumstantial and relative to everyone's personal needs and wants. So, guys, just please keep an open mind when you listen to today's episode. All right, because it's going to cause you to question a lot of things that you thought were true. So, like I said, feel free to take that notepad out and jot down some notes. And if you're driving, please keep your ears wide open. All right. So let's talk about quadrant one, the most common quadrant of all. And that is being an employee. <clears throat> as much as people may not be an employee and we live in a social media generation of you got to go out there and be a boss. There are benefits to being an employee. All right. Especially if you do it the correct way. Now, I know the first thing that comes to your mind with being an employee is, oh, I don't want to work at McDonald's. Or, I don't want to work fast food in general. I don't want to work retail. But a lot of people forget that there are employee jobs that pay very, very well. As long as you put in the work, all right? As you, Some of you may forget this, but basketball players, NBA players, they are employees. So a lot of sports athletes are employees, you know? They just found a very lucrative job, you know? Obviously, there's demand when it comes to the schedule, which I'll touch, touch on in a second. But those are highly compensated employees. And I know that's at the extreme level, but <clears throat> there's also jobs where people go to college, for a four-year degree, come out, they study finance or they study computer science and they're working at Google, making 150,000 starting out. That exists. And they have bonuses they get on top of that. So guys, don't ever think that (laughs) being an employee is always a bad thing. And if you really think about it, right, doesn't make more sense to be that one successful person in your community. You've made a million dollars, but everyone else is 
making minimum wage, which I know it's going up in, in you know in different states, like in the state of New York, I believe it's fifteen dollars an hour or so, or sixty. But when you think about it, it's a lot more beneficial and stable for communities where they have a lot of highly compensated individuals. And and when I say highly compensated, I'm not talking millions of dollars, but I'm talking about they can make be making six figures. You know, so being a mortgage loan officer, I was that in the past. I would look at certain communities and you would see those where the income, the median income for the community was, let's say, $40,000. And the other communities, the median income was $100,000. And and that's what I'm talking about. Being an employee is not necessarily a bad thing. People have a misconception about it. Like, it's funny, like when you really get into a network of well-compensated employees, you start to realize that a lot of people who become business owners started off as employees. You know, and they just found a way to make a business model out of it. And some people don't because they get paid so well. They have so much vested in their company that they get compensated. There are people who work their way up and buy and they go to an Ivy League school. They graduate and they starting off making 80K, 100K, you know, and this is a few years ago. You know, account that for inflation. That may have been 100K today. Now, <clears throat> then. They go back and they get the MBA and people are like, why are you going to school taking on that debt? No, their company pays for them or encourages them to get it. And they get paid a quarter of a million dollars by the time they're 35. 35 is still young. So that's why I say don't get ever get it twisted. Don't ever get it twisted. Just because the people that you know aren't making a lot of money doesn't mean that all employees being an employee sucks. But I don't want to just talk about, you know, highly compensated individuals. I'm just going to talk about the advantages in general. So here they go. The first thing is you do not have to worry about responsibilities past your job duties. And that's the hit or miss kind of thing. I know sometimes you're doing things outside of your job scope. But what I'm saying is that you're not worried about like HR. That's not your job. There is a division of jobs and duties and you don't have to cross over and take on other responsibilities for the most part. You, If you work at fast food or retail, you do what you got to do. If there's an issue, you go to the individual who's in charge of that. If there's a problem with your payroll, for example, or if there's a problem with your benefits, or if there's something where there's damage in a store, everything isn't your responsibility. And that's a relief as opposed to like a business owner. You got to have your head is everywhere. You worry about every single thing. You got your hands on and everything. Another thing is the benefits, <clears throat> health, dental and vision. And I talked about that in, in my previous podcast episode. Like there's a lot of benefits associated with a job. As a matter of fact, I was with um, I was at a an event and I was speak, speaking to uh, one of my professor's colleagues and they had said to me, they said, um, they said, Tyron, when you get a job, even if they say they pay you 50, 60,000, if they give you a lot of good benefits, that's essentially a twenty five thousand dollar bonus because those benefits are going to help you in the long run when it comes to other things that are critical to your well-being. And it's very true. You know, like I've been going back and forth to the dentist and I mentioned this in that um, DMV episode when I talked about dental, uh, medical and vision insurance and how I having a health savings account has helped me because I'm going back and forth. I got to get, you know, two root canals and, and crowns and everything. And I was able to pay that through my uh, health uh, health savings account. So that's a pre-tax deduction and it, and it is stored away for the sake of medical bills. And that saved me. That's my saving grace. I don't have to worry about no medical debt. It's all taken care of. And my teeth are, are feeling great, you know? Like, it, it's just that is what I'm talking about in terms of 
the benefits that comes with a job, you know, and, you know, the health insurance. I can't even you don't want to underestimate that. There are a lot of people who are not insured um, underneath the health insurance plan. You know, they just don't qualify or they don't have a job that that provides them with it. And that sucks, you know. But if you happen to be an employee at most jobs, you have that option. So take advantage of that and understand that that's a strong benefit to you. Envision if you need glasses, but just those benefits are not, you know, people complain about not having those benefits. And if you have a job that doesn't that doesn't make you pay too much out of your paycheck for it, that's lovely. That is that is even better. Certain state jobs are like that. So when you think about being an employee, you need to think about the benefits associated with it. Don't always just look at how much they're paying you guys. And don't look at the fact that oh, I could be a business owner. Sometimes when you're starting out, you start out as an employee. Yeah, they're controlling other aspects of your life, but, you know, and I'll talk about the risks in a second, but that is a strong benefit to start out. Especially if you're someone in debt, just got out of school, had debt. That's a great way to start out. The next, and there's also tuition reimbursement. When some, some, when, as I mentioned, some people are encouraged to go back and get the MBA. That's lovely. And if they're paying for your MBA, you come out of there with a degree, you don't have to come out of pocket or you come minimal out of pocket. Then it allows you to advance within a company or go to another company and and grow within that organization. And you just have to just check like, you know, sometimes they have restrictions associated with it. Like you have to stay employed after a certain amount of years. But guys, that's a, your degree, your education you carry with you anywhere you go. There's also subsidized travel opportunities. I remember my previous employer, I was flying back and forth to Buffalo, spending a whole week in a hotel. I didn't come out of pocket for anything. They covered food and all that. Everything. That gave me that travel experience. And it was lovely. That was like a week of me saving money. I'm not cooking or anything. So, guys, take advantage of, of that while you can. And if you don't have a job that offers these things, look for one that does. A next thing uh, advantage about it is that you have a set schedule to plan out your time. You know, as a business owner, your head will be dragged in a lot of different directions. As a self-employed individual, your head is dragged in different directions. But when you are an employee, you have a schedule. It starts and ends. Now, I know some of you may work overtime to get compensated and others may work overtime and it's not compensated. But the fact of the matter is you can plan your time around the schedule. You're paid for your being at work eight to five, nine to five, nine to six, whatever the case may be, seven to seven to three or seven to four, five to two or three. But guys, that allows you to have some consistency in your life. All right. Because some of you, you know, this will be transparent. You wouldn't be able to be consistent if it wasn't for that. So leverage that to your benefit. You could take time off, have vacations. And that's that's great. You can schedule time for that and not be pressured and get compensated for paid time off. The next thing is you can network. You have a network of people who can come in handy later. I can't tell you how beneficial it is to work at one job and then one individual moves to another company and then they help you get that job at the next company that they're at. You have a network. Certain people don't have that. And obviously, the more prestige your job is, when I say prestige, the more income associated with it and the well-off the individuals are like or and the, and the closer you are to executives, you know, that and the more skill sets you have, that is just going to be like a an amazing pool. Sometimes, you know, you can network with people and they may introduce you to other business opportunities to be a business owner or an investor elsewhere. 
So never underestimate the network of people that you have, especially at like a, a job where there's like, let's say physicians or fi- uh, people that work in finance and or accounting or engineering. They may inform you of things that you never knew about. You get educated when you network with people at your job outside of doing your job duties. So don't underestimate that. And then the last one I'd like to mention is there's a reliable income for milestone activities. You know, like, and when I say that, whenever you apply for a loan, um, and I've seen this a lot with like an auto loan or especially a mortgage, as a mortgage loan officer in the past, <clears throat> having that reliable income to show on paper is, is very easy for us to set you up for a pre-approval. It gets, comp- it gets more complex and you need more, a lot more paperwork associated with like, you know, being a business owner or self-employed, but we're an employee. And that's not to discourage you from going into any, any of those avenues. But when you're an employee, it's simple. They can approve you for these things. All right. But now let's talk about some of the risks. All right. Because this is not, like I said, everything is not floor proof. All right. There's flaws associated with each of these quadrants. First risk is your job is dependent on someone else. And for most companies, unless you are a key employee like an executive, you are viewed as an expense, not an investment on their accounting books. All right. I took an accountant for managers course. And I saw that. And I mean, I mean, I was always aware of that. But it's like sometimes when companies get desperate, they, they're, they're willing to cut the employees. So work for a company where if you lose your job today, you'll be hired somewhere tomorrow, which is why people go into the STEM fields. So just be mindful of that. Or going to fields where it's like recession proof, like computer science or something of that nature or somewhere in technology, because everyone's always going to need those kind of jobs. Next thing is your employer can cut hours or switch you to a location or schedule that is not your preference. I've been I've experienced that. I mean, that's part of the risk that you take on with the job. Being mobile is important, especially if you're young, no children. It's a lot easier to take care of that. But. You know, when you when you settle in, and you have kids, family life set up. This is not the most convenient thing because you have to uproot, drag your family to a whole other state for the sake of a company and to be able to provide for your family. And I give credit to anyone who has to do that because it's not easy. I know people that have to commute very far because they decide they don't want to move and affect their, their child's education or the school they go to or what their significant other has going on. And they just commute further and it may take them two hours to get into the office, you know, but that's some of the sacrifices that you, that you make the more you move up within a company. All right. So but just be aware of that when you take on a job, especially like a corporate job, these are certain things that can be expected. Another risk is most benefits are contingent on your full time employment status. And so if you lose your job, your benefits are impacted immediately. I've been through this. So if you guys like have like life insurance at your job. Once you once you are no longer working there, that's null and void. And same thing with your health insurance a little bit after they offer you the option of COBRA to continue health insurance. But usually that is very is a much more expensive option because it really isn't subsidized by your employer. It's you paying everything out of pocket. So just be very mindful of that. Next thing after that is you may be limited in self-expression due to the impact to your job title. So you can't speak up as much as you as you want to due to a lack of ownership until you reach like key employee status. All right. So what I mean by that is 
what happened recently with the shooting um, that took place in Buffalo, right? You know, and that's something that a lot of like executives speak up about. But sometimes being an employee, you you know, certain things could get you into trouble. I mean, I watched this one thing about this guy who um, spoke up against someone discriminating against um, people who are part of LGBTQIA plus community. Um, and he was an executive and he, he, he talked to an employee there, right? Um, in a very nasty way about how he felt, you know, and I, I, I understand his intention was, you know, it was the right intention that he had, but it was felt the wrong way. And they were like, no, you can no longer work here. And, and actually he was an executive. So even in executive positions, you still have to watch your back a little bit. So you don't have as much freedom. Don't think that you could be like an entertainer and do whatever you want. You are being watched. So be mindful of that. Um, and then there's also having in a like this animosity that happens amongst coworkers to be transparent with you. There's sometimes people are getting into little petty arguments and you get caught up in that. And even if you don't want to be caught up in that, sometimes that just is what it is. So that's why there's workplace violence that occurs. I don't encourage that whatsoever, but it can be a lot. And as much as HR will try to help, their goal is really to protect the organization that you work for. So they, they want to see what's best. They may try their best, but sometimes mediation doesn't even work. And then finally, there's limited income potential for the most part. All right. So you can work as hard as you want to sometimes and you might feel like you get underpaid, but you know, businesses work in a way in which they pay you, you know, a salary and you make it bonuses, but your income potential is just limited, you know, and the fact that the priority is the company itself. All right. And until you own one, you are an expense and, exp and a lot of times they want you to be a fixed expense for the most part. All right. They have to make a profit. So just be mindful of that. So consider those advantages and risks associated with being in the employee quadrant. Now, for quadrant two is the self-employed individuals. All right. So let's jump right into the advantages. You can control your own schedule, like work, vacations, etc. So that's a good thing about being a self-employed individual. So like if you're a self-employed pediatrician, for example, like that was my pediatrician when I was younger. Um, now I know the job could be in high demand, but if he has someone he could fill in, he could plan out his vacation. He doesn't have to ask anyone for pre-approval for anything. You know, he, he just goes about and he does what he feels best. So long as it doesn't impact his bottom line, which is his, his work and the reputation of his organization. Or let's say you're somebody who's working uh, uh uh, a painting business or something of that nature. I have a friend that does own one. Um, you can take time off. You can, you know, like now that can impact your bottom line, but just be mindful that, you know, of that. And when you take care of that part of it, you can have some time to yourself. And that is a luxury. That is a luxury. See, I'm doing a podcast now, but there are podcasters who do very well for themselves. And if they skip a week or a day, and it doesn't really impact their bottom line. They could go on vacation for a month if they want to. And nobody could tell them anything. So being self-employed, like I see individuals on CNBC, Money Make It. They work doing Fiverr, writing reports for organizations and other papers. They could work as much as they want to. But once they meet the client demand, they could take time off to themselves. So guys, don't underestimate you know what it is to be self-employed. All right. 
The next thing is you have more control because you are your own boss and can do the work. So sometimes when you work as an employee, for example, you know, um, or even as a business owner, you're not in control of as much as you want to be. So you hand it off to other people, they can mess it up, you know, and at least you have more control here as a self-employed individual because it's up to you. You know, you're doing the work for the most part. Now, you may have a business partner with you, but it's not such a wide scope of people. You understand? It's, it's, it's a small band, if anything. And you're right there with everyone else. So you have your hands in everything and you can see things on the surface level and get deep with things and you can impact things directly. All right. So that can definitely be beneficial if you're trying to build out a reputation for your business. The next thing is the tax write-offs. It's lovely. Where you're a self-employed individual, you can write off a lot of things, all right? And I'm not a, a tax advisor, so please don't take my advice as 100%, but feel free to do your research and contact your accountant or CPA. But there are tax write-offs associated with it. And if you're like a 1099 worker, that's basically self-employed. So if you're doing like DoorDash or Uber or Uber Eats, that essentially can receive tax write-offs. Gas, things of that nature. Um, you could get a laptop, that's a business expense. And as long as you have some kind of proof with it and you probably speak with a CPA, it's a tax write-off that you can leverage. And it could bring a lot more money into your pocket. So that can definitely help. And the next thing is this government program offers. You could apply for grants and PPP loans. I've seen that happen. So that's definitely something you could leverage. Some people think that, oh, I have to own the business. No, you could be self-employed, even if you have no employees but yourself, you know. And, and then when you, when you see those fundings, you could leverage it in whatever way works best for your business, assuming it falls within the guidelines of the PPP loan, whatever grant or subsidy you receive from any government or nonprofit agency. So these are just some of the advantages of being self-employed. Um you basically have more control than you would as an employee. But obviously, with, with control comes responsibility, all right? So I want to talk about some of the risks associated with being self-employed. First, you oversee yourself and therefore forced to hold yourself accountable. And it's tough when you have to be responsible for yourself at times. So if you're not mature enough to do that, then guys, don't try to step in that arena, you have to be that person that has that work ethic because at least with a job, even if you're BSing, which I don't recommend, but that does happen at times, you feel tired. As long as you show up, you get paid, right? For the most part. And you do and you make an effort to do the work, especially when you have a supervisor, you're gonna make an effort. But when it's up to you alone as a self-employed individual, if you're not responsible, you might get lackadaisical. You think oh, I can miss a week doing this, and the next thing you know. You're behind on your rent or your mortgage because you missed out on an income-making opportunity because you want to relax a little bit. So be careful because you could get comfortable real quick being self-employed if you're only holding if you're holding yourself accountable and you're not responsible. Okay. The next thing is you must do all of the work to get paid most days. So right when I was saying being an employee, you don't have to worry about doing thing, too much things outside your job. Well, this is like the opposite. You got to worry about HR, um, your the, the work itself. And a lot of times you're hands on, even if you're you have a crew of people, you have to worry about customer service, supply chains issues. There's a lot of things you have to worry about. 
So you're basically like a, a, a small business owner almost, right? But it's like, it's all up to you. You don't really have much people working under you. It's more so, even if you do, you're very involved in it. So your time is taking up a lot. So that control I spoke about earlier, if you don't have a good schedule in place, a good system, it will overtake you. All right. And finally, another risk to think about is you have less time than employees because of all the work you have to do and manage, like I said before, and run the business and therefore miss out on opportunities to what? Collaborate, partner, which limits the scalability of the business. So ironically, with you doing all that, all that effort to be self-employed, working really hard to have control. You 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 have to you're gonna miss on other opportunities. So you have to do a cost benefit analysis. Is your time being taken up by this line of business worth you missing out on opportunities to socialize and get to know people? Because until you can scale it the right way, being self-employed is tough. It's tough and it's time consuming. But if if you find that it works for you, I will not knock it. If you find you want the tax write-offs and it's beneficial for you, I will not knock it. But just understand there's a lot of planning that goes into it. So there you have it. That's your advantages and risks of being self-employed. Now, next quadrant, quadrant three, which you all probably been waiting for, is business owner. All right. So there are a number of advantages that come with being a business owner. <clears throat> the first being you have unlimited income potential. And I know a lot of you hear that from the gurus on YouTube and things of that nature, but honestly, it is true, you know, and if you know someone that's a business owner, because I know a few and you hear about the money they're bringing in and not just revenue, I'm talking about net income, all right, money that they get to keep in their pocket. It's a beautiful thing. All right. So I would suggest if you have the opportunity to go into business, then do so. Or if you have an opportunity to study someone who's in a business and especially a business that you're interested in, do that. Because in this gener- in this generation where everyone's switching jobs left and right, employees letting employees go, for whatever the case may be, downsizing, this unpredictable economy, you probably want to go into business for yourself and make as much money as possible. Because you could do okay if you pulled in $200,000 in a year and you kept one fifty k for yourself, all right? Or you're pulling half a million dollars for a year and you kept a quarter of a million for yourself. It's a beautiful thing. You understand? Um, and you could save up and you could be out of work for a while and you could still be fine, assuming that you keep your expenses low. But sometimes when you're working like a job, you're limited. You have to wait every two weeks or semi-monthly or however frequently or not frequently they pay you and make that check work for yourself. You know, and sometimes that's not cutting ends meat. So, you know, definitely being a business owner can be helpful as well. You know. The next thing is you can delegate tasks depending on the size of your business, all right? If you have a, a smaller business, you're probably going to be working alongside with them, similar to a self-employed individual. But even then, if you have a nice, small business that has like 10 employees, for example, when you delegate the task, that gives you more time so you can focus on bringing in new people in the business to help you, like more partners or doing more outreach. As a business owner, you should be out and about spreading the news of your business, like a CEO would of a company, all right? And then when you delegate the task, as long as you have trustworthy and dependable employees, see, employees are relevant. As a business owner, you still need employees. 
So if you have a dependable employee and someone who's comfortable being an employee and who can work hard, that is a blessing to you, you know, because you could delegate the tasks and focus on other ways of growing the business, things that are more exciting for you, going to meetings, going to networking events, drink, drinking coffee, tea, and, and champagne, and rubbing elbows with the right people, playing golf with them, all right? The next thing is the tax write-offs can save you a whole lot of money, all right? The business tax write-offs are on another level. It gets more complicated, so yes, consult a CPA, but it can be very, it can be immense. You know, there are some people who get such a huge refund, they just put it back into the business, all right? So never underestimate that aspect of it because it, 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 you just have to do your research to understand it. But once you get it up and running, you do fine for yourself. And that, another aspect of that is you can pay yourself out of your business. So not only can you keep the profit from some profit from the business and you could pour it back into the business, you can say, I want to keep some of this profit for myself and I want to pay myself an income out of the business. And why is that helpful? When you want to apply for loans and mortgages and things of that nature, you show that you have a profit, even if the business took a loss. All right. You still had income. So you merging being an employee with being a business owner, you know, like you could be a C, the CEO of your small business and pay yourself a $200,000 salary. So even when the business took a loss, as long as it doesn't take too much bad of a loss to the point that it negates the, the, the income that you paid yourself, it might work beneficial to you. It's the best of both worlds. Save your business on some business taxes, but also pay yourself well so that you can have income to show when you apply for loans and other things that require you to have income. All right. So don't underestimate that aspect of as well. And alongside with that, you can hire family or your spouse through your business and provide them with benefits. One of my colleagues at my previous job told me that, and I thought that made so much sense. Like she was able to get health insurance. Um working for him and um or she was able to be a stay-at-home mom rather and work um for her, uh, her husband you know it's like she really wasn't working for the business but she was on paper and and that's lovely because if you're going to have any money you want to save you know and you, and you have money that you have to spend to make sense for your taxes it gets complicated but if you have to give four hundred dollars away to show more of a loss or expense why not give it to your significant other or a family member? Guys, the tricks get amazing here, you know? And like I said, consult the right people who can help you with this because don't I'm not legally obliged um, to give you information regarding taxes and, and, and payouts of your business, but I know it exists. So consult the right individual, speak to some business owners, speak to your CPA, speak to an attorney. Another benefit is you can sell your business for a handsome profit. And alongside with that is you can go public and make a handsome profit. So if you sell your business, somebody to see you're doing well and they're like, listen, I want to buy all the real estate you've been investing in or I want to buy, um, you know, yeah, this multifamily unit. So I want to buy this business that you're running, this coffee shop. It's amazing. Starbucks likes to buy this up, use some of your products and we like to make this to a Starbucks location. They'll give you and they pay you one point five million dollars. And after other fees and things of that nature, you walk away with half a million dollars. Guess what? Your life changed for the better. Or you might get paid ten million dollars. And then after expenses and other payouts, you walk away with five million dollars. Guess what? You're a millionaire. 
So sometimes a business isn't a, a forever thing. Sometimes you just want to make enough so you could or become big enough so you can make a you get bought out and make a profit and to live your life doing something else. And then if you're a business that's like receiving, you know, angel investing and things of that nature, you might go public. You might be the next Twitter and next 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 thing you know, you blow up. You may become the next Facebook and then you go from being a multimillionaire to a billionaire just like that. So just know that that is an amazing opportunity for you to exit the business completely. Which goes into my next point. Even if business fails, the exit opportunities are elite due to the experience you gain. So you'll find individuals who get hired to work for an organization as a CEO or as a C-suite executive employee because they had experience running a business, even if the business failed. They just know what it is to be under pressure. So I don't think that all the, most businesses fail within the first five years. But guess what? You still had experience. And you can walk yourself into a $150,000 job, for example. Don't think that all your experience goes to waste. No, you can learn a lot. You can learn a lot. One thing my uh, um, high school track coach told me was Tyron, hard work always pays off. And I believe that. So don't think your hard work went down the drain because your business is no longer standing. You still have that experience and insight. And there's also two more benefits um, or advantages, rather, I like to talk about being a business owner. And the first is you can have disposable cash to invest in larger scale or longer term ventures. So if you make a, you know, a huge profit, you can take the funds and invest into something that's a lot more grand that can help your business or something outside of your business. It might be a supplemental business. You may take the income from running a, a trash disposal business to owning a tr- tow truck company. Or you might take your cash from your retail business, right? selling makeup or whatever the case may be, and you could pour it into a sneaker company or a completely new company like a like an investment, like a, um, what can I say, like a, a manufacturing company. So don't underestimate the amount of uh, revenue coming in because even if your profit isn't huge, you still can leverage the revenue important to other ventures. And those other ventures could be the things that make you well off. And finally, you gain publicity, publicity, which will help you with marketing. All right. So even if you're, like I said, business fails, you have that publicity. People are going to want to interview you for podcasts and they may pay you. People are going to want to have you go out to certain places and they'll pay you. So, guys, you know, when you're on that horizon of being a business owner, you get that publicity and gaining notoriety and doing big things, people will notice and your exit opportunities will be amazing even if the business doesn't thrive. But let's also talk about some of the risks with being a business owner. One is you are at risk of world events impacting your bottom line because business is about money, you know, and that could be a good or a bad thing, but COVID-19 happened and many businesses disappeared. A lot of small businesses, that is. And some major businesses were heavily impacted as well and had to file bankruptcy. And then there's also going what's going on right now, the Russian-Ukraine war. Yeah. So there were certain <laughs> Russians that were forced to sell their business. Their soccer team, for example, this one individual, he was forced to sell it. Other, other, or, other businesses like McDonald's, they're talking about, you know, you know taking them out of, you know, um, shutting them down in, in Russia. And a lot of other businesses are, are doing the same thing. But that still impacts your bottom line. 
So a lot of times political events, yeah, that can impact you. And speaking of which, the next risk is you are at risk of changes in certain policies and laws. For example, tax laws. So I talk about tax benefits, but if someone says they want to change the cor- corporate tax and make it a lot more, uh, ex- uh, they want to raise the rate for a corporate tax, that could affect your bottom line heavy. And you may have to let go of some of employees. When you let go of employees, that can work against you and your reputation as being a reliable employer. The next thing is you are at risk of market conditions which can impact your stock value. So if you're a publicly traded company and the market isn't doing too well, who knows? Your stocks get affected and the shareholders aren't investing as much. And you have to you know, take that loss and make adjustments to your whole organization because of what's going on with the markets. So your eyes have to be on the stock market, guys. Don't think you can ignore that. Even if you're not a public company, you just want to see what's going on in the market impacting other big businesses. Because if the big businesses aren't doing well, who's to say the small ones will do, do well? Especially if the small ones might have a little bit more, might be more expensive in terms of the products and services they provide. The next thing is you technically still have a boss, all right, as a business owner. And you know who that boss is? Hundreds, thousands, or millions, and even billions of customers and clients who have demands that are business and non-business related, like social issues. Like Jeff Bezos is running Amazon, but someone can say, oh, you know, I don't like warehouses because they had something going on where this human rights issues went down. It, it's a social cause, you know, or um, socio-political cause, rather, or global warming. You're building more of these, these hubs, and I don't like that. So understand that you still have to, I'm going to say react, but you still have to address accusations for things that come out of nowhere. And that's why, you know, the publicity aspect with this is a lot. It's, it's, it's important because you have to maintain a reputation that can protect your company where people still have respect for it. All right. Like I remember Amazon was trying to move in somewhere near Queens and the politicians shut that down. They were not with it. They felt like they want to raise the rents, make it harder for people to live in the area. They didn't want that to happen. And probably they could have negotiated better, but it just is what it is. So understand that there are social that you have your bosses are people all over the world. All right. Especially if you're a big business and that there's a social element to it, socio-political element to it. And finally, HR is perhaps the most critical aspect of your business in times of crisis. And the question I ask is, do you value employees? Because if you don't, recruiting is a hard thing. And you need solid employees to be what? A business owner. So just be mindful of that. You know, that being in business isn't risk-free. It's all potential. And if you do it right, you could do well. And if you do it wrong, you know, you can still do well, but you also could be impacted in ways in which you never imagined. So there you have it, the advantages and risks of being a business owner. Now for the fourth quadrant, the fourth and final one is the investor. All right. Now, a lot of you probably hear about a lot of different types of investments. When you go on YouTube, they have the ads. Oh, my goodness, it gets ridiculous. But I'm talking about having the funds available to invest. You understand what I'm saying? So I want you all to be to be mindful that 
investing takes patience and also takes a lot of income and sometimes you have to be a business owner at first to even be an investor so you can have enough cash to do so or you become lucky and win the lottery and i don't mean the literal lottery all that that can be helpful but you become like an nba player um or some kind of sports athlete soccer player um or the next serena williams is a tennis player or you're a celebrity um or you have the or you just work a job and that pays you very well and you become a C-suite executive. But you can start out at a smaller scale. There are people who don't have these amazing jobs. You know, if you ever heard of the fire movement, financially independent, retire early, you can do that. If you do things the right way, you invest your money, you don't spend too much, you spend less than what you make, you know, as simple as it may sound, a lot of people mess up with that, including myself. And then you can invest and you can retire earlier than a lot of other people. All right. So let's go into the advantages of being an investor. First, you can make money while you are asleep. <laughs> it's not a better thing than you can do. You wake up in the morning. Oh, the stock market's up. You made an extra five hundred dollars. You know, obviously the stock market can go down and then you can lose some. But for the most part, when you invest and in throughout the stock market, your funds go up. Just do your research, do your reading, consult with a financial advisor because I'm not one. Just want to put that disclaimer out there, but you can make money while you are asleep. The next thing is you do not necessarily have to worry about managing a business. All right. Because managing a business, all right, it's it takes a lot of your time, a lot of effort. But when you're an investor, you can just find the business, research the business and say, hmm, this is like this, this will be the next Facebook or this looks like this will be the next Google, you know, um, or Snapchat is doing well. Let me invest some funds in there, you know, so. You get to analyze things, you know, you get to sit back and watch things fold out. It's almost like being a spectator during the Roman times, you know, um, sometimes egotistical, egotistical, but a lot of times it's just you have the freedom to do that, you know, and it's something amazing. Imagine all the time you have in the world where you could just invest and you can relax. You go about living your day. Not to say that investments are risk free, but cause you have to pay attention to the stock market, but if you have the funds available, allocated, you can do that. You understand? And a lot of times people are investors while they're business owners. You know, it's not a solo thing. You can invest and do other things. But if you're strictly an investor, it's just freedom. It's freedom of time. You can also, as an investor, that means you can own multiple businesses at once with your spread of investments. So you might be have funds invested in like ExxonMobil. Tesla, Apple, Facebook, you know, Google. That means you, when, you, when you invest in a company, that means you're a part business owner. When you own a share in a company. So you can own multiple businesses. And the more money you put in there, the that much more you own of the business. So it's another way of owning a business without being responsible for a business when you're an investor. But like I said, to see reasonable income, you want to you want to have you have to have disposable cash to do so. So you might be an employee and investor, you know, but if you're strictly an investor, you probably are loaded with cash or have extremely uh, low expenses. The next thing is your time is more so spent negotiating deals to pitch the fellow and new investors. That's what investors do. They link up with other investors to invest in this new development of real estate. You know, they're going to link up with other people and collaborate. You know, I was watching this on a Pivot podcast. They had Floyd Mayweather and um, Alex Rodriguez. And if you don't know who they are, they're both legendary athletes. Alex Rodriguez with baseball um, 
and um, boxing with um, Floyd Mayweather. All right. And they linked up with each other and they said, hey, they reached out, and said, you know, why can't we, you know, help each other out and invest in, in things together? He, and Alex Rodriguez said, why don't I call my brother Floyd Mayweather? And Floyd Mayweather was very receptive to it, which leads to my next point is you can collaborate and network with an elite social class of people. That is an amazing thing because you can learn from them. I remember Floyd Mayweather, um, this is probably like 10 years back, you know, he was boxing and it was, uh, uh, maybe it was eight years back, I believe it was 20, you know, 14, 15. And um, he was uh, speaking with um, an interviewer and who was next to him was Warren Buffett. You know, you when you elevate, you have other people that help you elevate even more. And that's a beautiful thing. You learn from a lot of people around you. So being an investor is a beautiful thing. And finally, if you have the disposable funds to do so, you can be an angel investor. And an angel investor is basically they can support specific businesses um, of their choice. You know, if someone says, I got this new company, you could help them out, spot them $100,000 for a share in the company in the future because you want to see them grow. And this is a great opportunity to support businesses that you that have a cause. So you might want to support black businesses. Here's your opportunity. You're an angel investor. But like I said, to get to that point, you got to have the funds available, guys. You got to have the millions. You got to have the hundreds of thousands, you know. So just be mindful that like being an investor is not as easy as people think. You could do it on a very low level. But as you grow, it's an amazing thing. It's, it really is the eighth one of the world with compound interest. And if you're dedicated and diligent, you will see that you have a lot more assets than than you would have if you were to say just be an employee. When you get that paycheck as an employee, you should invest. If you're strictly an investor, make sure you be mindful of the market and continue to find other new investments. And But there's also risks, all right? So the risks are you are subject to market conditions, obviously, which can impact your investments, especially during times of significant downturns in the economy. So obviously, we're not going through the 1929 Great Depression, but at the same time, we had the Great Recession of 08, where a lot of people lost out and some of you committed suicide, you know, unfortunately. Um, but also we had, you know, a downturn in the comp economy with COVID-19. Um, so you have to be aware of the market conditions. And, and, and when people are doing bad in the economy, there are certain people who profit. Certain people invest in bonds and they profit. Certain people who, you know, they made sure their funds weren't all tied up in companies that were doing very well because, you know, you're so hyped up about, you know, investing in the company only to realize their value is overinflated, you know, their market cap is overinflated. So guys, just be mindful of that. Do your research. I have the intelligent investor and I'm researching on, on value investing um, with advice from Benjamin Graham, who was the, one of the mentors of Warren Buffett. All right. So do your research. And like I said, consult a financial advisor or fiduciary because I am not one. And I have to say that as a disclaimer legally. Next thing is your funds may be tied up with investments, so you must pick and choose wisely while balancing it with liquid funds. So what I mean by that is not all your funds can be tied up in investments, but if a bulk of it is, guys, that means you have to be that much more careful with your liquid funds. Because, you know, yeah, you could, you know, if an emergency happens, you know, you have to sell those. And if the funds are, if, if the market is down, that means you don't have as much cash as you thought you did. And so you have to balance between the two. You have to live, but else you have to invest for the future, you know, or future generation of your family. So be mindful of that. You have to strike a balance. It's not, 
So there's a there's a risk associated with that. You know, do you keep the funds the funds liquid and have it in the savings account, or do you invest it and take the risk with that? You know, I always err on the side of investing because overall it does lead to a higher interest rate over time than a savings account. But at certain points in times, you might as well keep that cash on hand. All right. The next two risks I want you to pay attention to. And that first one is if you are strictly an investor, you may find a difficult or complicated process to be approved for loans and mortgages. Why? Because they want to see that you have an income. And unless that income is strong enough, they like they prefer you for you to have a job, you know, to say that you have a consistent income coming in, you know. Um, and so a lot of times you have to put a lot down on a home or hopefully you're married to somebody who is still working a job where that can be beneficial to you. You know, so it gets it gets complicated. You can eventually find things to work out for you, but it can get very complicated. All right. Because they like to look for proof of income, which sometimes doesn't make sense, but it is what it is. And then finally, you may not get the exposure you want because you do not need it until it comes a time you need it. So sometimes people say, I'm just going to lay low and invest. And let's say they're not networking enough and they don't get exposure. People don't know who they are. So and a lot of times you want to grow and you want to scale and become bigger and have bigger ventures. You might not have those people who could vouch for you or you might not have the world society who could vouch for you because no one knows who you are so be mindful that while you're just being an investor you're not a business owner who's getting publicity you're not an employee who's networking with other employees and you're not self-employed and having a lot of people coming in out your business you're just behind the scenes you don't want to be so behind the scenes you're forgotten and not taken um you know or not um don't have the network people to help you when you need it so don't wait for that to happen but just be mindful that can be a risk. You can get comfortable being just an investor and nothing more. All right. So there you have it. The advantages and risks of being in quadrant four as an investor. Now, as I've said, when it comes to the quadrants, you don't have to remain in just one. There is a possibility that you can have a combination of quadrants that you're in. All right. Like you can be an employee. Right. And be self-employed in another respect. You can be an employee and have a business as well. All right. I see people do that plenty of times. All right. They work doing their job accounting. They're doing consulting on the side. As long as there's not no legal obligation, they're fine. They're good to go. You might also be a, um, a partner in a law firm. It certainly makes you a business owner. All right. To some degree. Um, and then you have some, another business on the side, you know, or you might be an investor a major investor and own a business. That is very common. So guys, you know, there's advantages when it comes to that combination of quadrants. One is you hedge your bets with a plan B by being a part of multiple quadrants. So if something fails, something else works. You might just work a job part-time for the benefits part of it, with your health insurance, and then you might own a business or be self-employed. You don't have to worry about that expense. All right. Think about that aspect of it. Another advantage is it allows for ease of transition. So if something ever goes wrong with the economy and you have to work more hours and become a full-time employee as opposed to just an employee and investing, you can do that. Or if your business falls through and you have to go back to working and you're in both quadrants already, you go back to working and focus more on your job. 
So, guys, that could be beneficial. You can combine the two. Nobody says you have to stay in one or the other. So don't get this caught up. You just have to see the benefits associated with each and how you can merge the two and if it makes sense. And then there's risk associated with that, which is it could cause distraction, which leads to limited productivity in either quadrant. So if you really want to focus on growing a business, being an employee while owning that business can be hard because you got your heart in two places. You know, I, that has happened with me. I have this podcast, but I'm also working for an organization that is very reputable that I want to grow in. But it's like, do you want to grow your business or grow within the organization in which you work for? And that's what I'm saying. It could be it, You could put yourself between a rock and a hard place. Next thing is due to lack of productivity sometimes, there's a lack of expertise gaining that quadrant, which limits improvement over time. So you're not gaining the insightfulness and the expertise that you need to, guys. Simple as that. When you got when you're mixed all over the place, you become a jack of all trades, but master of none. And that can easily happen when you're caught up in too many quadrants. And then, you know, so a lot of people just decide, you know, I can't do this job while I own this business. I just got to do the business and put my heart into it. Even if your, your income temporarily goes down, you know, over time, it will jump right back up. If you dedicate the time you need to to that business. Or to invest in or to be an employee, whatever the case may be. And finally, it can be extremely time consuming, all right, when you win multiple quadrants, you know. So it can be helpful to delegate certain responsibilities to trusted individuals if you want to avoid that, that issue. But just know that will be time consuming doing both. I'm doing it now, guys, and it ain't easy. I'm doing a podcast, I'm doing this, uh, I'm working at my job, you know. It's not an easy thing, but it's necessary for the time being, you know, until I grow a lot in either or. You know, but doing you can't always do both unless it's like, you know, something that really does make sense when you run the, the numbers and you run your, and you look at the schedule, you know, but just know that you can't combine quadrants. I don't discourage it. It's necessary and it's a human thing to do sometimes. And it can also test you and see what are you truly passionate about, guys. So know that when I ask you which quadrant are you in, you should ask yourself which quadrants are you in because there's a possibility that you, you're probably in more than one. All right. So there you go. With the advantages and, and risks associated with being in multiple quadrants. If there's anything that you got out of today's episode, I just want you to know that everything we do in this world comes down to a choice. And that includes how you choose to spend your time making money. At the same time, do not let your self-worth be determined by the decision you make. But do understand that the impacts of your decision are real in terms of your lifestyle and finances. As I mentioned, please try to research as much as you can about each of these four quadrants and get a few mentors who are on the path you want to be on, whether it is a C-suite executive employee or a real estate investor. Furthermore, understand that you are not limited to one quadrant and you can choose to be a multiple quadrant if it works for you. Also, do not feel like you are regressing by going from a business owner and then becoming an employee. Not everything is black and white in terms of the decisions you make, and it is not necessarily reflective of your ambition in life, but rather a preference which can be pragmatic for most people. And never apologize for giving yourself grace by taking on less responsibilities, because as we age, our priorities shift. And so instead of making money, you might value family time or time to yourself or a passion that gets you up and going every morning. But as long as you are aware and accepting of the ways you'll be impacted, there's nothing wrong with a change of heart. That said, choose a quadrant or quadrants that you feel will give you the lifestyle you desire. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And as usual, 
Please continue to stay strong in America.